All right, good morning again. Yeah, love that uh, one lyric. Our hearts are as busy as Bethlehem. That's the previous song. Um, but prepare him. I don't have it all memorized, but I was struck by it. Prepare him and don't tell him there's no room in the end. Prepare your hearts uh, so that he may enter in. I pray that you are doing that. And I hope that you're coming eager each morning that we come and gather on the Lord's Day to hear a word from the Lord, uh, to hear His Word expounded, to be pressed into our hearts, and to um, produce that joy uh, that we spoke of even at the beginning of the service. We're going to continue our time in Matthew chapter 10, so hopefully you got your Bibles out and you looked ahead in the order of service and you're open there to Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to look again at verses 16 through 23. I'm going to give it another stab this Sunday and try to get us through. And uh, and really the the elements that are here in this text carry us all the way through um, chapter 10. But we'll we'll just focus on 16 through 23 this morning. And, And my intent is next Sunday to cover 24 through the end of the chapter. As you've got your Bibles there, let's hear Jesus' instruction to the disciples as he's preparing them uh, for the persecution that they will face as they go out into the world. Jesus says to them, and by extension to us, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents, and they will put them to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." In this passage, as I I mentioned before I read it, Jesus is preparing his disciples to face persecution in the world. He's preparing them for the reality that if if you go out bearing my name, you, you go preaching the gospel, there will be opposition. And essentially, this opposition is to silence you, right? And I would say... Even though we don't feel overt persecution, it's, it's enough that keeps most of us pretty quiet, right? There is enough stigma and enough shame to the name of Christ that keeps us silent. But we know it. And Jesus is trying to prepare us so that we may be faithful disciples that preach his gospel. And he tells us that that this opposition, though it's going to come in various forms, and, and we know throughout church history that it, it comes in waves, 
comes in seasons, comes in epochs and periods of times. It comes in certain uh, areas of the country and uh, in the world, and, and it's different in different places. But one thing is certain, you will face opposition. We'll look at this passage more next Sunday, but if you just look over in verses 24 and 25, Jesus tells us, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And so here's his point. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that's just a, 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 a fancy name for Satan, if you will, or a demon. If they've got names for Jesus that are derogatory, how much more will they malign those of his household? And the point is, is if you are a disciple, if you're a servant of mine, how they treated me is how they will treat you. That's why repeatedly in this text he says that this is going to occur for my name's sake. But this concept of persecution and opposition, it's difficult for us to, to get our, our heads around, to accept it, to comprehend it. And that's really, as I, I think of, at least for two reasons. Number one, we don't feel it um, quite the same way as brother and father and children raising up to put you to death. We don't feel that, right? At least I hope you don't yet. Um, it's difficult. This text, as we read it, it honestly feels foreign to us. We don't feel the threat of, of being brought in um, before governors or be brought into to religious settings such as a synagogue to be flogged. We, we, don't, we don't fear those things. And so these texts like this seem foreign to us. We don't, we don't dwell on them much. But another reason, I think, for us is that even though we see the cultural shift going on, we see that we're in a transition period. And here's the transition, which is kind of the inverse of what the early Christians faced. The early Christians faced, yes, persecution, some putting them to death, but they were entering in Gentile territory to cultures that were foreign to their own, which at first just didn't know what to do with them. There wasn't outright putting them to the sword, putting them to death at every place. That's particularly the context that Peter writes in his first epistle. But the culture is different. They malign you. They, they, they keep their distance from you. And so they felt like strangers and aliens. Well, we're the flip-flop. We're used to, and, and those of you who are a generation even above me, you're used to a society that not only tolerated you, but celebrated you. Christian values were things to uphold. A, a politician couldn't get elected if they weren't a member of the First Baptist Church of whatever, right? Now, that will actually hurt you. You don't want to be associated you want to be very vague. It's a different world. And so we're on the inverse where we're a place we thought was our home and now not feeling too much like our home. And so we struggle in this transition. As the world becomes increasingly secular, here, here's where we struggle, though. There's still not enough persecution. We're, we're able to kind of retreat and hide. We can hang out in our friends. We can, you know, some of us, if I said, hey, how many unbelieving friends do you have? We, we couldn't count them on our fingers because we can retreat. We can keep ourselves in a little bubble, keep ourselves busy, and we never really have to face the reality of what we know is out there. And so we struggle with this. But the reality is we must face it 
that we're not going to be able to hide forever. So you can't just stay in the bubble. Nor should we. Because if we're commissioned from Christ to make him known in the world, we must go into the world. But here's, here's the opportunity that comes when persecution arises. As the culture shifts, doesn't mean we're, we're thankful that those things are happening. We know the danger and the harm that's causing upon people. But here's, we don't lose hope because it's actually opening up doors of opportunity and it will actually force every one of us at some point to speak up because it's not going to let you just sit silent. It won't. You might be able to do it right now. Some of you are like, yeah, it's already happening. Some of you came to me last Sunday and said, everything you're saying, I'm already seeing in my workplace. I'm already being pushed out this way. And I just want to encourage you with these words because Jesus is telling you you shouldn't be surprised. And so as we're thinking about going into the world to proclaim Christ boldly in a world that you will receive opposition, you're not going to be popular. You're not going to be liked if you preach Jesus. So if that's what you think is going to happen, you're in the wrong mission, if you will. But I'm not talking about here, though, being a belligerent people, fighting a culture war along political lines. I think that's where we sometimes go, and that's because we're not used to this transition. We, we thought this world was our home, and we are holding tight, Right? as we're just seeing the things that we, we love crumble. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but we struggle. And we sometimes turn the fight as, no, 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 we're going to still fight it with flesh and blood. That's why we read Ephesians 6. It's not flesh and blood. And you're beginning to realize, actually, the more and more uh, our, our culture shifts, oh, you can't actually find any home in a political ideology, can you? Actually, we truly are strangers and aliens in this world. We truly are sojourners. And I think part of that's a good thing for many of us because it's forcing us not to make our home this world, but the world to come. And so Jesus isn't calling us to be belligerent people who fight culture wars. That's not what Jesus called us to. And if you follow Jesus, he doesn't do any of that, nor do his disciples. Rather, what, what is he talking about? What are we called to? Well, he's talking about being a faithful people who submit to his lordship in every facet of their life. And that's going to be increasingly challenging for you in the workplace. To just submit and follow Jesus, let alone giving a gospel track. Don't even put that one on the table. Just be a Christian is going to be hard. And some of you already feel it. You feel it when the conversation is coming, oh no, I hope they don't find out that I'm a Christian. That comes in your mind, doesn't it? Maybe you don't, but there's going to be that pressure, relational pressure that's going to come upon you. Oh no, I hope this doesn't turn toward me because I don't, I, don't I don't want to get in the fray talking about submitting to Jesus in every asset of your life, remaining faithful. Here, here's part of it. Remaining faithful to gather with his people in worship. Jesus is going to talk about endurance by the end of this sermon if I get there. But just faithful to, to gather with his people is going to be a challenge. It's going to be. 
Those who remain faithful to disciple their children and grandchildren. That's a work. I'm, I'm in that. Discipling kids requires work and faithfulness. It's talking about being faithful to the Great Commission which the Lord entrusted us, even though the forces of darkness are going to work against you both from the outside, and hear this, brothers and sisters, even from the inside of your own heart. Sin in your own heart is against you. You are in a battle sometimes against yourself. And so to live like this, brothers and sisters, just normal Christian life is increasingly going to be unacceptable in our culture. Because our very presence, our, our righteous living is going to be so countercultural. It's going to be, just as Jesus says, like shining a light in darkness. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I do this to my kids in the morning. I did it to Grace this morning. I said, it's time to get up. And it's nice, dark, and cozy. And I flip on that light. She loves it. She says, oh, thank you for turning on the light. <laughs> no, we hate the light, right? We want to stay in the darkness. Well, that's what happens when we go and we, we live out Christ and we're, we're, we're light bulbs out there. And, that, and here's the deal. As we begin living, following the virtues of the kingdom in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, we start living these things. Our very lives, are as they blind and they, and they, they turn on the light, are going to be interpreted as treason. Because it's so different. And it's not the fact that you're different like in a weird sense, although that may be true. I know many of you. There, there, there's that weird sense. But it's the fact that you don't celebrate the values of this world. At the end of the day, you don't celebrate what the world celebrates. And if you do not, well, then you are put to the side. You are opposed. And this is why Jesus says we are sheep among wolves. That's what he's getting at. And it's going to appear at times, maybe you feel this in the workplace. You're around the table and the conversation turns and, and it is celebrating things that are contrary to the gospel and you begin to feel like, oh my word, I'm the only one in here. And I'm locked up in, I'm locked up in here. That's why he says you must be wise as a serpent, but innocent as doves. One Bible teacher articulates it this way. If we are to be sheep among wolves, I think I have this quote on the screen. If we are to be sheep among wolves, and this is Jesus' intention, then we should at least be smart sheep. Sheep who follow their shepherd's voice. Sheep who don't overestimate the benevolence of wolves. That's honestly what I hope for you. They will not overestimate the benevolence of wolves or the beauty of the surroundings. The first wisdom of serpents is simply to be prudent. There's simply the prudent realization that they are amid wolves. So if we're going to indeed be sheep among wolves, what's it going to take, brothers and sisters? What's it, what's it going to be? Well, if we're going to be faithful to the gospel, it's going to take discernment. It's going to take reliance. It's going to take endurance. Let's look at the first one again, just to, by way of review. This is what we looked at last Sunday. Discernment. 
spent all our time here thinking about what it means to be discerning Christians. And really that quote, not, um, not being um, deceived by the benevolence of the wolves. The world is in some sense friendly, isn't it? There, there are good people out there in the world. There, there are sweet people. There's good things in the world. And I hear it all the time, goodness gracious, you Christians are just getting all worked up over nothing. But it reminded me of Siegfried and Roy. Roy, you know? Some of you don't know them. Those were those two dude magicians who liked to play with lions. And one day that lion carried one of them off the stage. They forgot what they were dealing with. Or those people who, who, who I was thinking, uh, who, who buy those boa constrictors. And yeah, they're really, they're nice, sweet. Somebody in our church has one of these. I don't, it's, it's gross. But anyway. <laughs> and then you read of those stories. Oh my word, uh, the wife woke up and her husband was inside the belly of a, of a, of a snake. What happened? They get hungry, okay? Like, oh, they'll never hurt me until they get hungry, okay? And some of us think, well, I've never been hurt before. There's nothing to worry about. You Christians just don't worry about it. Stop being a prude. Just, just go with the flow. And Jesus is warning us, beware, you're just sheep in the bin of wolves, okay? So we looked, we need to be discerning, discerning of the opposition here. That's what he's getting at. And we saw the opposition comes on various fronts, a judicial opposition. You see governors, kings, and those in authority. It can come from a religious uh, point of view. Even uh, he's anticipating those of even a religious circle may oppose you. Even a social opposition of the most intimate kind of, of family members. And he's just using these as representative. They're, they're not exhaustive, but representative of, of opposition by which he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You aren't going to always find a friendly welcome when you come bearing the name of Jesus. And so here's what Jesus is doing for us. He's calibrating our expectations. Many of us, this is another whole sermon, are so disappointed because we have unrealistic expectations. We are downtrodden and downcast because we don't have expectations that the Bible gave us. And we're disappointed. And Jesus is telling us, hey, when you go out and you do the work of, of ministry, have your expectations calibrated. So that's discern the opposition, but we must also discern the opportunity even where there's opposition, persecution actually will lead to gospel opportunities that were previously unavailable to you. And I've already kind of mentioned this. Why? Because you and I are going to be forced to say something. You're going to be forced to say, what do you believe about this? Or are you going to celebrate this with us today? And you're going to have to have an answer. You're going to have to have an answer. Now that prospect of having to have an answer might make you even more nervous, right? What will I do? What am I going to do if I'm brought before my superiors because I won't celebrate Pride Month? Use that as an example. All the cubicles must do this to show their support 
and link arms. If I don't do this, what's going to happen? What am I going to say if I'm in, ask, in the staff meeting and my superior has now shared the news of their new sexual identity? What are you going to do? Are you prepared for that? Because this is the thrust of this for us in this passage. So we must be prepared, and this is what Jesus means by being reliant on the Holy Spirit. So this is the second point, reliance. This is what Jesus is getting at in verses 19. So think of those scenarios. I just gave you a couple examples that I think are real and some that some of you have already faced. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are uh, to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I hope if you're familiar with, with the Sermon on the Mount, you're connecting the dots. You're, you're thinking, oh, blessed are you when you are persecuted. This is what he's talking about. Blessed are you when you are put on the stand. There's a blessing here. And later he tells us, do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now we're beginning to see, oh, it's a little bit more than just merely, well, I have clothes today. Those are, that, was just, that was wisdom literature helping us think about our basic survival. Isn't that what you would be worried about if you were to be brought before your bosses at work? Or that someone would report you? This is, this, this is what anxiety looks like. And Jesus says, do not be anxious. Anxious about what? Well, number one, what are you going to do? You're thinking about those. Maybe you're already there. You were wondering, what am I going to do if this happens? Or maybe you're even thinking, what am I going to say when I'm put on the spot and I feel like I'm in that boardroom in the midst of wolves? They all seem to not be on my side. I'm trying to be as innocent as a dove. What am I going to do? And notice the, the analogies, sheep and doves. Those things get killed quickly, don't they? That's the analogy. Now, he told us to be wise as serpents, but as I kind of talked about last week, serpents with no venom. We've got no bite. We're not out to attack. We're harmless. We're a gardener snake. So what are you going to do? And Jesus comforts us, brothers and sisters. And I hope you'll hear this word. And I hope this will encourage us to be more faithful he comforts us saying, when the moment of trial comes, the Spirit will assist you. And when you speak, you will speak the words of the Spirit, namely the gospel. That's what he promises us. This is the same thing he says at the end in the Great Commission. And I will be with you always until the end of the age. Well, this is how. The Holy Spirit who is given as a down payment, who resides in our heart, which regenerates our hearts, dwells in you, and he empowers you for ministry even when you're put on the stand. Now, this is not a text to promote laziness, though. 
or undermine being what Jesus has already called us to do, be discerning, to be calculating for how you're going to engage in the mission. Rather, it's a comfort and a promise that Jesus will always be with you, and he will supply the grace needful for you in the moment of trial. Do you see that in verse 19? Look at the very end. For what you are to say will be given to you in that when. When? Are we awake? When? Hour, right? That moment, at that time. That requires the shield of faith, right? Because what do we want? No, Jesus, I want the promise, I want the plan all laid out beforehand. He says, that's not just how we're going to work. You're going to have to trust me. And how do we show that we are trusting Jesus? Well, we begin to cultivate a reliance upon the Spirit now. If you hear this verse and you're like, well, I don't have to do anything, well, then you aren't trusting. You aren't hearing. You aren't following. There's a reason. If that were the case, then he wouldn't need to tell us, right? Oh, don't worry about the Spirit's there. Well, then he wouldn't even have told us. But he's giving us instruction so that we will be reliant upon the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? Well, well, he's already called us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. He's taught us how to pray. This, this looks like praying and meditating on the Word. Now, I imagine many of you have not thought about these things, at least to the extent that I'm hoping to press us in. Or in the way. Some of you, have, I think all of us recognize the cultural shifts, but that maybe you haven't thought about it in the opportunity mindset. Or what do I do with this? And right now, and hopefully by the last two sermons, the Spirit of God is working in you now to bring these things to your attention. To prepare you. To prepare you. So that if you are called in one day or you are uh, uh, asked, hey, isn't this great? Don't you like what has happened? And you're forced to, to come out. Well, you know what? Now you, you've been thinking about this a little bit more. Not just thinking about it, but you've been thinking about this text. And the word of God is coming to you and you're remembering some of you will remember this on Monday. I'm a sheep among wolves now, and I feel it today, and I didn't know what was going on last week. But this week now, I know what Jesus is talking about. That's the Spirit working in you right now. That's what's happening. So brothers and sisters, if we're rightly discerning the currents of our culture and listening to what Jesus has to say to us, then, then we must not rely on ourselves by cultivating habits of self-reliance. That's what we, we, by default, do. We cultivate habits of self-reliance. But I want to beg you, as one who is seeking to apply these things to my own life, I want to beg you to be developing habits of spiritual reliance. What does that look like? It looks like walking in the Spirit by devoting yourselves to the Word. Do you devote yourself? Do you, do you think today I'm going in the midst of wolves? I better come packing my sword, the sword of the Spirit. Or do you walk in every day un, un, unequipped? It looks like 
cultivating the habit of taking every thought captive. Do you think about every thought or do you let your mind wander? Taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Is this daydream? Is this pursuit? Is this entertainment? Is this cultivating a spirit reliance or a self-reliance? Do you think at that level or do you not think? This is what he means by being wise as serpents. Not forsaking the assembly of the saints. It's a battle, I know. It's a battle. Especially if you have children. Or you were out late. Or you had family. Or you had things going on all this week. And you know what? You're thinking, oh my word, if I don't sleep in today, I won't be able to sleep in until next Saturday. And you'll have to battle. Because here's self-reliance. I don't need the word preached to me this week. I'll be able to survive. That's, that's, that's self-reliance. Training ourselves for godliness. Like an athlete. Every aspect of their life is calculated trying to train themselves for, to win the prize. But we, a heavenly one, right? A heavenly one. Fleeing our sins, not being even entertained by them. I've kind of already mentioned that. And then resting upon the promises of God. This is what spirit-filled reliance looks like. And brothers and sisters, I'm not coming to you as one who's just like, man, I got this knocked out of the park. I'm fully equipped and I don't ever struggle with this. Absolutely not. I'm the chief of sinners. But here's what I do every Sunday. I come pleading with you as I'm running this race too pleading because I know the danger. I know how your heart wanders. I know that your mind is as busy as Bethlehem. Right? As we say. Your hearts are restless. And here we can come Sunday after Sunday to get our meal that settles our soul. It says, no, 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 let the storms pass. This is what the truth is. This is the rock by which we stand on. So it's this type of reliance and sensitivity to the Spirit's leading that's going to enable you, brothers and sisters, to discern the opposition, to see it before it comes so you're not caught off guard, but also to discern the opportunity. Look in verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Why does Jesus say that? Because there's going to be sometimes, brothers and sisters, that you got to get out. Right now, one of our missionaries has made a shift strategically because uh, uh, the government where they are serving is amping up its surveillance, its 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 persecution, uh, it, it's it's trying to stamp out the gospel. And they had been wrestling with this for, for well over a year. What should we do? And they're being wise as serpents. Okay, we can relocate. And we can do our work and, and, and adjust the strategy. But they had to flee before, before it came. So Jesus is calling us to be smart sometimes. You're going to have to discern, is there a door open for the gospel here? You're going to have to discern that. You're going to have to discern, is my current job situation, what's my longevity going to be here? Some of you are going to be like, I can navigate these waters. Good. 
Some of you say, uh-oh, not for long. I need a plan B. You need to be pr- proactive thinking. And that's part of being discerning and even relying upon the Spirit. And, and these type of questions, both just on an individual level and even on a church level, we've got to think through together and seek the wisdom of the Lord and pray with one another. This is why our community group should not be only our prayer time talking about all our, our, our bunions and our needs, you know, all those type of things, okay? And here's, here's what I got going on. Those things are fine, but they're evident that we don't really see the real danger around us. We think those things are the real threat, but they're not. Similarly, the Spirit leads us to discern opportunity. In Iran, I mentioned Iran last Sunday. This is how the Christians go about their day there. It's fascinating just to hear that, yes, they know that they are sheep among wolves. They know that they are under uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran. And they know that they can't, they can't wear the Christian t-shirt. They don't have the necklace. They look like everybody else, but they have a different mindset. They are, they are looking and they are praying. Praying, Spirit, give me wisdom on who I should talk to because they know I just can't go up to anybody because there are wolves. And they pray and they beg, open up our eyes, have a conversation, turn. There's just a regular alertness. They go into the market, they open up their store, and that day, whatever job that they have is also alert. And what, what, Lord, bring someone who is humble and contrite in heart who needs to hear the gospel. And they're finding that the Lord is answering that prayer. I want that to be our prayer. As you go out in all your various vocations, all the, the, the community activities you're, you're involved in, those things aren't your goal. Your goal is to be a sheep among wolves, but wise as serpent, innocent of doves to proclaim Christ. But you've you got to be wise about it. And many of us just rely upon our own strength, not asking the Spirit to go before us, till the soil of hearts, be working in the lives of the people we rub shoulders with, that, that I might be able to give them Christ. In this regard, um, an Iranian Christian who had fled the U.S., or excuse me, fled to the U.S. from Iran, said this to her husband after a short stint back here in the States. She said, there is a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. You know what they did? They moved back to Iran. They ended up moving back there because they saw the threat of sleepiness is more dangerous to their souls than the threat of their very lives. And many of us just think that's nonsense. And that tells us how sleepy we are. We don't perceive. We don't see. And this text is calling us, wake up. Wake up. And this is the ongoing struggle that Jesus has with the disciples. It'll later happen in the garden. What happens? They fall asleep. They have no idea what's about to happen. Be aware, be alert. 
Well, it's this kind of reliance upon the Spirit which produces endurance. And in verse 22, we see that's exactly what Jesus calls us to. You're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is where we, we, these are one of the verses that we develop our, our doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. This is what I think most of us, at least I hope this is what you mean, once saved, always saved. Well, the once saved will endure to the end. That's what Jesus says. That doesn't mean that there isn't a failing. Peter denied Jesus three times, but he didn't ultimately fall away. He endured even through his failures and through his struggles. You and I are going to fail. You and I are going to struggle. You and I are going to be self-reliant, and we're going to fall flat on our face, and like Peter, run out of the garden naked, okay? That's going to happen. Hopefully not literally, but it's going to happen, okay? Some of you are still asleep, okay? But Jesus says that his true sheep will, he'll keep them. No one will snatch them out of his hand. But he, he, he doesn't say it like that here. He does it through an admonition. You must endure if you're going to be saved. So where Paul gets the, the marathon language. I must cross the finish line, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. What is going on here? Why? That sounds like works. Sounds like following Jesus. Following Jesus must look like taking steps, following him. And Jesus says to the one who deviates, and you're going to find that next week, to the one who will not acknowledge me before men, well, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. There's endurance for you, brothers and sisters. Every day at work this week, you're going to feel it. That doesn't mean every time you have to blurt it and be belligerent, but one of these days you're going to have to acknowledge him before men. And you may fail. Martin Luther, when he was on the stand at the um, um, uh, Diet of Worms, with all his writings on the table, he walks in, the room is packed. And they ask him, Do, will you recant your writings? Which is his writings on the gospel. Calling people to faith in Christ. And he clams up. And he says, can I have one night to think about it? Why did he do that? He tells us because he was scared. He was in the midst of wolves. And by God's grace, he got to come back there and say, here I stand. He stood firm. But Jesus is calling us to endure. There's an interesting admonition here. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's a really difficult verse. What does Jesus mean? I'm not going to unpack all this because we're going to do this in Matthew 24. So if you can endure at least to then, we'll get in Matthew 24 and unpack this. But this is, I think there's multiple things going on here. But here's at least what I think Jesus is talking about. The mission will not be complete until he returns. It's the simplest way I can explain it. 
The mission will not be complete until he returns. And so we must endure. He's calling us to. And his admonitions to endure are actually the means by which he causes us to endure. Because now, guess what's going to happen when you face opposition this week or next week or months to come? You've now been prepared because the Holy Spirit has now put this word in your heart and in your mind that will now come to your attention. And you will then be equipped to battle and fight and even preach to yourself when you want to keep your mouth shut. And you'll remember he endures to the end. And that, that, that motivation will push you through. It's a means of God's grace working in you through his word. Just like a parent, when we warn our children, it's not because we're somehow trying to invalidate them if they disobey us. It's actually a means to protect them from something they yet do not even perceive. Our warnings are a means of protection for them. So the Scripture's warnings work that way. For those who are truly Christ's sheep, who truly listen to him, they will heed his voice. And though they may not be able to see him, we feel like we're that blind man following Jesus all the way into his home, but we can hear his voice. And he's telling us, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I kind of envisioned when I taught my kids how to swim. They would say, say, come on. And I would just keep moving backwards, you know? And then we eventually found out, oh, you made it to the end. You made it to the end. But if you stop, you will drown, I'll tell them. (laughs) And I'm not getting, no, I would say. Brothers and sisters, that's what it looks like. We must endure, and and we're going to unpack this more next Sunday. So give you a little bit of a tease, and then we'll go. We see the admonition to endure. This is, if you're going to live as sheep in the midst of wolves, you're going to have to have discernment. You're going to have to rely upon the Spirit. And Jesus says, it's that reliance that's going to produce endurance in you. You must endure. But what, what does that endurance look like? Well, this is where we're going to get in verses 24 through 42. He's going to tell you, don't fear man. Fear me. That'll cause you to endure. Have your expectations right. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Set your mind on the rewards for those who endure. You see that? That's what he's getting at. And so just as Christ endured the cross with the joy set before him, so you and I bear our cross for the joy set before us. And we run the race. We run the race. Okay? Let's pray, and let's sing, and let's pray that we endure. Jesus, you are a good shepherd, and like a loving shepherd who's gone before us, you're you're warning us of the treacherous terrain coming. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us, as as Lord, we we do, I, I know our heart, Our heart is we do want to proclaim you. We do want to share your name. But Lord, we're scared. Many of us are scared. Um, We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to say. So Jesus, I pray that we would rely upon the Spirit. 
so that when we speak, we do not speak our own words, but we speak your words, and that you would give them to us in the hour, in the moment, and Lord, that you would bring those hours and those moments to us. Lord, we, we pray that we would not enter temptation, that we would not have to stand on trial, but Lord, if that is a means by which we need to be pushed out, to force out of our comfort, force out of our, our hidden bubbles, if that's the means by which will bring us to be bold in the gospel, Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to work in us to proclaim your gospel. Lord, those are scary words to pray. And so we need your spirit to keep us, to secure us, to provide for us until you come back. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.